And as knowledge workers, how this muscle works is so important. And just being able to tune it the way we want it to work is so important. So I, I realized that my attention was getting fractured. I was missing deadlines. I wasn't getting like for, I wasn't getting the portfolio that I wanted to get done. And I got over that. I got real mad at myself at first, but then I got over it by purging my phone. I got rid of all the apps that needed my attention. I set aside any entertainment that wasn't like the one thing that I was looking forward to. No more sidetracks. And this, I just fine-tuned this engine. Yo, what's up? This is the Shaping Design Podcast, where we help you get better at design. I'm your co-host, Mitchell Bernstein, and today we interviewed Andrew Lee. You're going to hear our conversation with Andrew shortly. We talked about ambient technology, the future of AI, and kind of his new role as a design lead at IBM. He works on the IBM uh, Watson assistant team, and him and I have a little bit of history, went kind of way back to the internship we joined IBM with. And him and Pascal have also worked uh, a little bit together. So we have some paths that have crossed several times. And he's a good friend of mine, good friend of the pod. I really think you're going to enjoy this this episode. So why don't we get into it? But before we do, just want to remind you that you can find this, this pod, the video version of this podcast on YouTube. So go there, subscribe, give it a thumbs up. And then, you know, if you're on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to my voice through, please rate our podcast give it a five-star rating if you really like it and if you don't let me know let us know we want to know how to get better at this we want to know what's wrong with the podcast so we can improve it for you so it's actually enjoyable to listen to right and also to watch so please stick around for that just go for all those social networks like it subscribe and let us know all right without further ado let's get into it Pascal, you're looking good, man. Last time I saw you, you did not have long hair. Uh, yeah, it's this thing that when you move to Mexico, it kind of goes with <laughs> long hair. Uh, <laughs> how you doing? Right. What's going on, man? I'm doing well. How are you, Mitchell? Good, good. Um, I heard uh, you got a promotion. A promotion? No. Or you moved no, over I... to a different team? It was it was a move in the right nice. direction, yeah. Correct. Okay, cool, cool, That's cool. That's awesome. And uh, how you liking it? It's been the most wonderful thing. Yeah. Uh, imagine something that you've wanted for close to a decade in your career really? and finally achieving it. Are we allowed to that's, talk about that's it at how all? Happy. Wow. Oh, yeah, we could talk about it. That's how, yeah. that's how happy I am about it. Yeah. That's fantastic. Oh, I'm, I'm, so, I'm so excited for you. You 100% deserve it. And I'm sad that we're not working together where you know, we can enjoy it together. But um, that's awesome. I'm very happy for you. Can't, you know what? Why don't we go into it after we talk about kind of like your background up until this point. Why don't we give you, why don't you have like a, you know, five inch spiel about who you are, what you do, and a little bit of history about you. All right. Um, so hi, everybody. My name's Andrew Lee. I'm a design lead at IBM. I work on Watson Assistant. Um, but it didn't always, it wasn't always like that. Uh, I started out making memes on photoshop and stealing cd keys for adobe photoshop and all that back when i was in high school um i started doing graphic design got into maps as a undergrad student um but that was because the design program at chapel hill was really hard to get into and i didn't have a portfolio at the time um 
And then eventually I made my way over to uh, interactive design and game development. Uh, and then that led to IBM, data, and AI. Cool. And um, do you want to describe a little bit about how we kind of met or do you want me to do that? Uh, I bet you could tell it better than I could. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, you know what? I think we we became lovers on the very first moment we laid eyes on each other. Yeah, right, right, right. You know. Well, though, like that's uh, a big word right there, right? <laughs> well, I using think the that, L word. Yeah, right. I think that it was it was great, uh, a great time when we we met. Uh, we went, so for those who don't know, uh, Andrew and I were kind of we crossed our paths when we met in the airport in Austin. I believe that's when we first met, uh, going in a car to our internship, really the hotel that we're staying at together, not us two together, but all the interns together, this right? It was like 15 of us, right? Getting saucier. Hell yeah. yeah. Like saucy, that, that love, saucy that love and word is getting big right now. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, we, we both applied and got into this internship program and ended up being on the same team in the internship program and became really good friends, I guess. Uh, yeah, that's kind of how we know each other. <laughs> yeah, and I've run into Pascal a few times. I think Pascal and I, you and I have, we've probably have been in the same Zoom meetings, but I don't think you and I have actually like, you know, been on the same team or anything like that. Uh, we were in totally different portfolios. Mm -hmm. And right, you guys were in data and AI. I was like data and AI, but a different path of it. Uh, yeah, I think, and we probably cross paths in numerous different projects or things. Uh, you may have been there when we had this design system integration gills or models or like anything we were doing across entire portfolios. So I think yeah. we had the chance to connect at that point and and anything. But yeah, I don't. We definitely didn't ever worked on that same portfolio before. Right, maybe right. one day. Um, but. Let's talk real quick about uh, what you're doing now. So you kind of transitioned to the role. I think that you said that it's kind of like it's 10 years in the making. Something you've Eight, really but yes, yeah. Yeah, something it's I've wanted for a really long time. Round up, round up, you know, makes makes for a better story. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, well, tell me about it. Um, we, I just started, so it hasn't been three weeks yet, um, but wow. it's on the Watson assistant team. Lots of exciting things seem to be happening in this echo chamber of ours. Uh, Watson Assistant, that's very cool. Yeah, Watson Assistant. Can you describe um, a little bit about like what Watson Assistant is and like what your actual day-to-day -day work is starting yeah. to look like? Yeah, so Watson Assistant is IBM's uh, chat product, but there's all, lots of different channels that we also work through, like phone um, and lots of different integrations into places like Twilio or Slack and all that. Um, it's an assistant product that aims to basically make customer and business relationships a little bit easier. Nice. And what do you do on it then? Well, uh, I'm about to start my first project. I can't tell you about that. But uh, in general, uh, as a design lead, uh, there's lots of different things that I could do. Right now, I'm focused on contributing to the product, um, making flows, wireframes, uh, opining on design excellence, uh, making resources for other designers, um, just trying to make people's lives a little bit easier and more fun on the team. 
Lovely. And why the Switch? Well, at the beginning, I said, you know, this is something I've wanted for a really long time. I think back when I was pursuing my MFA, I was really passionate about accessibility and text-to-speech technology um, and what it could do for folks who may be of uh, who may be blind or who might have low sight. So um, it was a way to get back to something that I was really passionate about. That's awesome. Uh, but why this though? Like, wh- what what about this is that? that you're passionate about like i, know I think it's the technology itself but... i think okay. it's the technology itself at some point in my career a mentor of mine laid out this vision of ambient computing of just being able to invoke whatever it was that you were hoping to get done through a computer basically without an interface um and i i'm passionate about that experience and i figured i needed to really get hands-on experience uh with ai and with chat and voice uh so i've been angling for this job for a real long time and i finally got it and when you say like without an interface you mean like yeah. without like a digital, digital like like application or something like that or like without any interaction with the technology well, i think I mean, there's always a bit of an interface, right? With right. even with voice, you've got your microphone, you've got the speakers. Um, so, I perhaps misspoke a little bit there. I think I'll say with less of an interface than okay. we have right now. With um, with le- less of, of an intrusive interface. Yeah, I would say that it's also like, yeah, keyboard and mouse; those things are great. Um, but I don't know about you, but we. I went through my keyboarding class. We all went through some type of keyboarding class right, where we had to learn. Um, and it's not as human uh, as speaking. Yeah, I don't think there really is anything as human as speaking. But right. I think the only thing maybe more than that is is seeing body language in terms of communication. Uh, right. Because right? like, can, uh, you know, body language is like, what, 80 to 90 percent. You know, I don't know how someone can actually measure it, but it's like 80 to 90% uh, the communication uh, when you're kind of interacting with somebody, your body language, because you can say something but not actually mean it. And your body usually kind of directs that information. It's like, oh, shit, actually, this person is really scared. They're, they're you know, they're shaking like crazy, but they sound great, uh, you know. So I, I get that. Okay, that's cool. Um, yeah. So uh, we had some questions lined up. Uh, Pascal, <laughs> I, I know you had. Uh, a few questions. I have yeah, some yeah. in the notes. Do you want to shoot over some of those questions? Yeah. We talked a lot about, you know, being lead. And I know being lead in the company you cur- currently work for and even that product you're on, because I used to work across that portfolio. Yeah. What's different or what do you perceive as different being a lead in that space versus what a lead is elsewhere? Because in some other industries, when you become a lead, you become like this, you have reports under you and things like that. And sometimes it's, you you know, there's IC route, there's the manager route. Can you elaborate a bit more for the people that may not understand that space or like the enterprise software space where what is the lead at that point? Yeah. Um. So like everything I'm about to say is like my opinion and none of it reflects what IBM thinks or what their thoughts are. Um, but 
what I can say about being a lead over in Watson assistant when I'm, I'm only been on the job for two days or two weeks. And I'm already getting the sense that being a lead on a chat and voice uh, service means that you have to have a very intimate amount of knowledge with the domain itself. Um, it's It was different than when I was a lead over on the data side. Over there, it was some of it was the general stuff that you might expect with somebody with a little bit more tenure. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you could expect the lead over there to do the things like managing people, managing the process, like the day-to-day design work, you know, the IC work. But I think with Watson Assistant, there's a greater deal of hype around technologies surrounding it and intersecting with it and understanding what clients um, are able to, understanding what clients want and the amount of risk that they're willing to take when it comes to those technologies, I think is something that a design lead needs when they're working in that space. Were there yeah, any it's well like- said. It's well said, and it's like you got to push boundaries. You got to push innovation. You got to kind of understand what users need and just keep pushing. It's, yeah. it's it's interesting in that way. Sorry, Mitch, you were any, about to say. Oh yeah, sorry. Um, were there any like misconceptions that you had uh, going into this role that you think you're figuring out? It's like, oh crap, that's actually not what I thought, or like, you know, I was expecting something different, and this is actually the reality in a good way or bad way not like doesn't have to be bad but (laughs) like is there anything i was told i was told that i would have a like there was a good deal of like meat for me to for me to sink my teeth into i didn't expect how much there would be that i could do um there's a lot of impact that you can have on this product um especially because right now there's a lot of excitement in that space um so getting schooled in the first two weeks about uh, taking on more than I can chew is something I was not expecting. Um, <laughs> but it's a good lesson to learn early, you know? And the, I have to say the PMs on that, I don't know if they're still the same, but they know that product inside out so much that if you come to the table with like innovative ideas, like you said, being chewed, yeah. everything's positive, right? Everything, Everybody wants to push so much but they're so savvy and that's it's just like the passion everybody comes to the table with it and at the same time it's i think right it's going to force you to up your game in a way but you're already prepared for this like you came mm-hmm. to the table you 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 got to here now it's just a matter of you know put keep pushing it it's it's just fun times ahead i, I kind of see for you thanks <laughs> yeah <laughs> and you're right the pms they just they certainly know what they're doing I get the sense that everybody in the room is very self-motivated and very knowledgeable to what you're saying. To like what you're saying, yeah. So, I want to shift gears a little bit, but more of a general general topic of AI because all three of us worked in the AI space, right? Okay. With data with with consuming data, you know, putting data into production, you know, with models and whatnot, training models, whatever. Um, we all kind of had some touch points on that and tools that other people can use that use AI and, and so forth. Do you find that this trend, this recent uh, huge push to AI 
is it just you know peaking now or is this like just the beginning of it because when you know we worked at IBM it it seemed like AI couldn't really achieve the things that you know some things were that were being promised in the industry uh and we're trying to live up to those things like ah oh, yeah it's 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 like 75% that but it's like that's actually so much of a experience cut out that it actually is is uh detrimental to the user experience and therefore they don't actually expect this to work as well so talk a little bit about that well i think as an industry everybody is getting more and more knowledgeable about what value looks like when it comes to ai so i it's not so much whether we're on the we're on the rising slope of expectations or whether we're in like that trough of disillusionment or whether we're reaching some sort of plateau of like enlightenment value i think that people that people are processing faster what hype cycles look like when it comes to this new technology. So it's going to go up and down a lot faster, I think, Mm -hmm. rather than the industry sort of sitting with this new AI technology, like chat GPT um, and sitting around with it for a while. I think it's going to just go up and down and up and down a lot faster. But why is that? Like I, like I said, I think we're just getting really knowledgeable about what models can do, what parameters you need, what the cost of training something like that looks like. Um, okay, so so yeah. there's 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 communication about the technology, so you get information about it more rapidly, more easily. You know, you don't have to yeah. go to a library to read a book about it. You know, it's yeah. just available. And then also open source ones people can dig into, right? So I guess that's part of your your statement there. And then the other part you're mentioning is that um it's there's there's a media aspect to it that i'm seeing like every okay. time there's some new technology out uh there's a media aspect to it where people talk about it people like us talk about it people on linkedin talk about it mm-hmm. and then interest is tested basically and then it just goes through a trough of disillusionment and that seems to be happening faster can faster. you talk what is what, it? what that what does that mean the drop of disillusionment. Yeah. I think it's mostly been discredited. So I don't know how much I should be talking about it. <laughs> but the idea is that there's like a hype train at the beginning. People get really excited about some new technology. It doesn't meet those expectations. And then it slams back down into the like, oh my gosh, my expectations, you know, um, they've been foiled. And then eventually there's like a slope of people getting excited about it again as um, people who are less... Uh, or who are more risk adverse, um, they get a hold of it and they start really fine tuning it into the use cases that mm-hmm. will that are more sustainable for those businesses. I think you, it's an awesome way to put it because it's almost like the investment curve when you're like in crypto or whatever. Like if you look at it, it kind of goes up, slams, keep. But if you look over time, it's something that's going to keep evolving. And I yeah. think we're not going to get away from AI, we're at this point where it's like a trend and it maybe it's going to be a trend that's going to stay forever, right? I think right now people are trying it, mom and pop are trying to figure out a way to make even their content or their blog posts more, you know, I think it's at a point where it's like, it's at the verge of being like massive adopted compared to when we were 
all of us at IBM working in data and AI, where it wasn't this easily connected AI aspect. And now it's like at the cusp of being massively adopted. So I think it's, I think how you framed it is perfectly said where it's going to go up and down until it's solidified into a way, because even now you turn around and chat DPT, like we know about it, but like there's Jasper, there's like other software that comes in could potentially do even better. So it's still going to be going up and down, up and down, up and down until we kind of solidify that foundation of what AI can be and do. I do think we're on that rising slope though. And the reason I say that is because it seems like there are every day I hear about some new startup that has taken it. And to your, to use your phrase, Pascal, there are these like mom and pop type of companies that are using AI um, for smaller, to solve smaller problems, to fit smaller clients. So it is sort of maturing, I think. I heard a stat. I don't know if it's scary or positive, but they're saying within the next two years, marketing companies are going to cut their employees by like 80% because of 80%. AI. And what, yeah, that's what it, I got, I could find the quote just to quote it correctly, but yeah. two articles I read that were talking about close to those numbers, which is wow. phenomenal. It's like, it's scary when you think about it. But it's like, it's scary. That's, that's, an that's like a follow-up question. Like, should we be scared about this? Well, AI is a tool. It, it, yeah, it, it, yes. Well, it, and, well, it's a tool that, though, that we don't, like, at least IBM's per- perspective on it was, you don't want to replace humans, you want to augment humans, right? AI as augment, augmented intelligence. It, it certainly should be used that in my opinion it certainly should be used in a matter that makes people better yes and i think a part of that starts i think that outcome starts with the tool makers being ethical what does that mean that's like a totally that's a nice can you unpack what ethical (laughs) ux is because that's 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 a big topic you can't, you, if your outcome is simply money, then I think the ethics of that are pretty questionable. Um, but if your ethics are, we want to, I don't know, do this, but in a way that improves the lives of people that, like, let's take your writer example, for example, mm-hmm. let's go. Um, we, it could be that, a company could generate AI that just makes articles all day long. And those articles could really do a lot of damage, right? We've seen what that can do. Um, but if there's AI that keeps writers honest, that tells readers what disinformation might be present in an article, I think everybody benefits from that. That's a pretty ethical tool. Okay. Um, but yeah. if you have unethical tool makers making really sketchy tools you're gonna have an unethical outcome actually uh peter Thiel just i think did a talk uh at a, at a very famous school about like safeguarding the ethics behind the ai and how that kind of is being determined and i, I would like to ask you like you know ai is you're embedding your principles to the ai that you make so if you're a scientist 
you have to choose a worldview of how you want the distribution of data points to be you know, presented so that the AI can then take that and then give an answer based on whatever that viewpoint is or that worldview is rather. And so, you know, speaking about truth about AI, you know, AI bases everything it knows. It doesn't know the truth. It knows based on data that's given. So how do you know the data is truthful? How do you know the data is truthful? I would so hope I think, that... I think it's like, it's, it's like a, it's a nice thing to want the AI to be ethical, but I would yeah. love to hear, to, to hear your thoughts on like how like ethics plays into it. Because I, I know, I don't know if you know, I did a ethics, you know, kind of exercise at IBM trying to build a conscious <laughs> system and that burned, uh, burned up uh, as the project and kind of I, crashed I don't know about your project but yeah. <laughs> I think it starts with really good hiring but um, does that mean you've got to have it's about people's opinions at the end of the day it's about people's opinion at the end of the day I think you've got to have hiring it all I think hiring is all of that, all of the ethics and AI, ethical tools, ethical toolmakers, I think those are lagging indicators to what is basically hiring that is equitable. If you're mm. hiring people who are ethical, then you've basically solved the problem before it ever exists. Do we think, though, okay, if I play devil's advocate, I don't think that people... Play devil's create, advocate. No, no, I'm just saying, when Andy people loves create this. tools... I think they all come to the table with the right intent. I don't think they come to the table with all these dark UX patterns off the bat. Some do, like because they've learned them. But I think yeah. when they create new tools and new software, I think the primary goal is to help people. Then when the like money comes along, maybe that can start to sway things. But I would argue and hope for everybody that comes to the table comes with the best intention in hand. Yeah, I would agree. I would also say that, um, I mean, we're all designers, so we know that I think we never really, well, we never really know what users will try to do, right? Um, I yeah, think we, the question is, do you have the right people in the team to know when to pull the plug on something when it gets out of hand? You know? Um do they do you, have? Do you think that yeah, that's like set forward in like the mission and principles of the team? Because like I can see it yeah. being like because we, we we kind of agreed that it's you know, it's it's opinion based at the end of the day. So there's always an opinion that drives all of these decisions, uh, and those are based on whatever information they're given. They can decide whatever uh, decision they want to make on that. But it sounds like from what I hear, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, there has to be some sort of like stake in the ground that that team is like, all right, we're driving towards this direction. And maybe another team and another company drives towards a different direction. And each team seems to set their own ethical standards based on their mission and principles uh, and what they allow and what they are capable of. I would agree. Yes. That Okay. Yeah, it, it starts with opinions and hiring and having leadership. I don't think people want to work for others who are making the world worse. <laughs> I mean, I have to, I'm fundamentally optimistic about the good in people. I gotta say. Really? Okay. That, that's interesting. Is there, is there some, we're, we, to that? 
Are we unpacking? No, no, this is not. <laughs> let's not turn this into design thinking exercise. Okay. <laughs> well, I, I just want to, kind of want to understand that thought because there's also the, the dark side of that is that there's a gatekeeping and 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 kind of like suppressing of information. Um, and, you know, I don't want to go into anything you know COVID related. I'm not going to go into any of that because I will get pulled from Spotify or have like a flag on it or something. Yeah. I don't need that. Uh, but TOS. You know, but there's but there's information in in places uh online that are allowing you know anyone to say anything and then there's information that is like tightly uh filtered for example and i find that you know if we're using ai for good and bad we would have to generally understand what is good and bad and then the bounds in between that are up for grabs and those bounds in between would be what is allowed based on the opinion of that team uh, for for example, um, trying to come up with an example that's not going to get us canceled or not going to get us thrown off on YouTube or something. But you know, generally when people talk about AI, they talk about the algorithms of the social networks, and a lot of tools that all three of us have built have nothing to do with that, which is crazy because a lot of money lies in machine learning models for you know predicting like what's going to be the next product next year or something like that, right? But like, what is determining the ethic? Is there even ethics around that? Like, wh why would you need that? Like, is, is it going to go off? Like, is the AI going to go haywire and figure out like a, a product, a color that's like, you know, crazy that people, you know, would, would start protesting the company about? Like, it seems like a lot of like ethics might also be, uh, in my opinion, overblown. It's, it's kind of like more sequestered into specific contexts that AI is applied to, not every bit of AI. Because most AI is, Really dumb Mitchell, AI. Mitchell, right? I'm gonna say something <laughs> controversial. I'm yeah, waiting please. For, I'm I'm waiting for a, a question at the end of that ramble you just went on. Well, I want to ask: Do you agree with that? Do you agree that there's people that that are setting forth AI's ethics that is wrong, or is it that you know that's just not ethics you align to? I can't speak to other people's values. Hmm. I can only say that. Fundamentally, I believe that we generally want the world to be better. Mm -hmm. And that starts with just being a better person. I think people want to be better people uh, no matter what. That's basically it. That's interesting. I agree, but I don't, <laughs> I don't agree with that I, I could at not all. agree with that. I think people, <laughs> there are some Let's villains hear it. in the world. No, but I mean, at the end of the day, I, I mean... There's always going to be villains in the world. Mm -hmm. And I think there are people that want to control and they're going to do whatever they want to control. But that could be like a whole different mm -hmm. rabbit hole that we could open. Yeah. yeah. Right? I think it's it's interesting, but I understand. And it, I ultimately think that one or two people in this world are going to use AI with the wrong intent and are going to mm -hmm. create that something to just grasp onto everything. I Like that... There's some people out there that exist that are going to do go and do that. Not us, because we have ethics, I should say. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, like, right? That's my point of view. But, like, that's a topic. I have no we, ethics. We... <laughs> disaster, look, guys, disaster and apocalypses are around the corner, right? But if you wake up and you think that's the case, I don't think people would get out of their bed. You know, no. yeah. I mean, it's it's you know, twenty twenty twelve. There right? are good people who would prevent that from happening. I would have to 
I would yeah. have to assume, you know, otherwise I don't know. you would I don't lose know. faith in all humanity otherwise. Right. No, I, but we, we keep chugging away. And I think yeah. it's like, we keep chugging away. We keep doing our human self best interest in all this. And but yeah, if, yeah. if we, if we turn this into like a more positive spin now. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> what basically, like, what is it that you find the most interesting and challenging of designing for AI. Because people think AI, it does something. But if you look at like enterprise software and what we were doing, what you're doing, designing for AI is actually pretty fun in my point of view, right? Yeah. Like, what do you like about it? And like, can you tell us a bit more about it from your point of view? I like the, poten- I like the potential of it. Um, going through design school, I was introduced to a concept called wicked problems or ill-structured problems. And I think that AI is the first tool that I have seen that could really actually structure problems in a way that humans could consume them. Mm -hmm. It has the same, I think it has the same value as a designer might have to a team. AI might be the designer that humanity needed all along. AI might be that synthesizing tool where it says we could solve disinformation, we could solve pollution and loneliness and really bad politics if only we could do these things and these people did it. Yeah. You know, right now AI, like I get great Snapchat filters and you might be able to like edit people out of videos. I think that's like those are lower stakes AI, I think. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm I'm excited about designing for AI because eventually we're going to get to a point where that AI is going to be able to answer and structure those problems for us. I kind of see it as like a, like a designer companion tool, right? It's like, it's going to be like your, your imaginary friend when we were kids, some had imaginary friends. I like, I didn't have any, but you know, like it's, it's going to be like your (laughs) companion to help you along the way to be able to achieve better outcomes or thing it's going to be if we all use it correctly i think there's an opportunity for us to leverage it as a strong toolkit and a strong way of moving forward it's not a panacea though let's let's make no mistake about what ai is it's not like the silver bullet to all of our problems it's it's to like i think we all agree that it's meant to augment the choices that we make right yeah, I think it's supposed to definitely augment a lot of the choices, but also, if possible, replace choices that maybe aren't even meant for people to be doing at a grand scale. Like things that are very dangerous. Uh, I would agree. For example, like building a machine, like building a built, like constructing a building on Mars. Like, you know, that's a very dangerous job. What if we had an AI robot like Elon Musk, you know, AI thing, Tesla bot? Yeah. To, like, how, go, how do you like, know that's it's dangerous cool. if you've been? I mean, can you breathe on Mars? I don't know if I can, but uh, why don't you go try? <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like, yeah, I think that generally on Earth, uh, the problems that we're solving typically could best fit into the augmented bucket, right? Yeah, I, I'm i curious to hear your opinions on this, guys. There are, I mean, there are certain jobs in the history of humanity that were probably pretty dangerous. 
and we automated away from them. Or some machine took them over. Yeah. How should governments, how should societies react when AI starts targeting jobs that are around today? I mean, what did they do when the telephones were you know, placing people, connecting the people to the other you know, uh, service or whatever? Or, or what about um, different, um, I, I'm assuming in the medical field, having doctors rush back and forth to do different tests that are now easy, easily done more quickly and you now using AI to detect, you know, breast cancer, mm. AI to detect mm. all different types of illnesses quickly, quickly and faster earlier on uh, with less blood maybe, right? Mm-hmm. So I think te- technology itself just advances. Uh, I think in a, in a way uh, we are inhibiting the advancement of AI and therefore inhibiting the advancement of humanity because this is definitely something that's more than just a tool. Like Pascal, you mentioned it was like a companion. You know, what if we were able to speak to a computer and it did a task for us, it created an application for us to use? You know, that would be amazing because it's maybe it's something we needed for our specific context and then you throw it away, right? You never use it again. But, yeah. you know, I, I, I think, think, yeah. Yeah, I think it, like, it is scary when you think of what it could do because we're living in it right now. Like the same way I assume when people were working in factory plants and machines came along, those people mm-hmm. were scared because it was limiting jobs. But if you think about it, I assume, and I don't have any stats for this, but I assume that for every people that got job eliminated, it created the same amount in a different field or in tech because people shifted. Like I would say, and like I said, I don't have stats, but I would argue that we remove jobs, but we create new. And Mm -hmm. there are jobs that we're going to create in the next 10 years that we don't even have titles for because we don't know these jobs are necessary. So I think we evolve and it is also our job as human beings to keep evolving and evolve with times and not just stay stagnant as, well, this is what I do. This is what I'm going to be doing for 40 years. Well, no, Mm -hmm. you got to reinvent yourself continuously as you move up as that like slope that you mentioned. I think it's going to be the same for this. Like, so, I think the people, like the designers that got to use AI in their jobs are going to outshine the ones that don't at one point. Like, that's my point of view. Am I right or yeah. wrong? I don't know. Like, like in I mean, a couple of years, we'll see. I mean, we actually have data to back that up. Like, that was something that we did at IBM specifically, you know, empowering people to be able to, to do more tasks faster using yes. AI and being like a monitor for the AI and then getting the results that the AI can't do well. You know, it's like, it's like, hey, can you need to choose between A and B? I can't figure it out. I'm the AI. Help the AI out. Uh, we oh, have those scenarios. But, but like uh, the stats, I, I think, that, I think the stats so, that I was talking about, like for the, like the 80% of marketing teams that may be eliminated, we don't know yet. Like that's a factual number that they're throwing out because they're thinking and they're making assumptions that AI is going to be able to replace a lot of this. Is it going to, not all, but I mean, these people are going to reinvent themselves into something else. Yeah. Well, you know, to, to be devil's advocate, though, on your question, Andrew, um, those people that do get left behind, they're not going to die like instantly. They're not going <laughs> to va- they're not going to vaporize. Like, what do we do with them? Right. There's still there's still a question of, like these people. They, they cannot learn fast enough. They cannot be 
of use anywhere else because they've trained so hard and become so specialized in one specific task that then gets automated or even that task doesn't even get automated. It just gets replaced by a whole new workflow, mm-hmm. right? So we're at the point where we have such a large amount of people and the population is actually going down now globally. Uh, not not that bad for America, but for other countries, right? Um, you know, there there is something that AI, you know, we need to accompany AI with in terms of, I think maybe that's what the government step in to do at, at some point. Like what happens to these people that like they can't learn fast enough. They can't accelerate and jump into a different job market that they're not really a part of when they've been doing something for 50, 30, 20 years. Uh, you know, that that part is a very difficult thing that we haven't quite understood the ramifications of it because we haven't seen just yet. Yeah, I I suspect we haven't really truly entered the emotional part of politics. Mm. So I've been taught that, you know, your people's emotions end up impacting policy, passions impact policy. And I don't think we've truly, I don't think like the guy next door or the woman down the street has truly grappled with the risk of being, of having their job automated. Um, personally, I think what I would expect is perhaps maybe in 10 years or so, who knows, there might be an older workforce that just got an entire, you know, an entire like skill set automated. So I, it might be good for us to, you know, set expectations about having people joining our ranks who are just hoping to retool themselves. Are we getting closer to Wally, the movie, than we think? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, there are machines that pick up trash cans off the street. And I think it used to be a guy or a woman who used to pick up that trash. I know. <laughs> oh, man, that's funny. I mean, I think we're already there at Wally in some cases. In some I think cases, we're already there. Sure. I think yeah. we're already there. Yeah. Oh, Unfor- yeah. If unfortunately. You, but... If you look at like Ready Player One, combine that with Wally, like I see some Oof. people living that life already. Really? Yeah. Well, yeah. I like, thought it was interesting. Everyone was super fit and not like stuck in a chair in Ready Player One. So like they're obviously using yes. the virtual reality and oh they're actually gosh. moving around back and forth, right? Like that's a lot. Of, you can actually do a lot of really cool things, I think, with virtual reality. But I don't think we fully understand that at all. And that's just a freaking miss. That was my know? that was my favorite part of Wally was that everybody had just let go of their health. <laughs> well. <laughs> You know, like we're actually on that path. Everybody is okay with sweatpants, just sweatwear as being like normal. Next stage, it's just going to be like, oh, yeah, I gained a healthy 50 pounds. (laughs) (laughs) That's going to be the new word of the year. I think that that I think that that was a really good prediction. You gained 20 pounds. Good for you, man. It looks good on you. You, you carry it that. so well, so brave. <laughs> you did all that laying down. Awesome. <laughs> all that laying down. Show me how you did that laying down again. Show show me that. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> That's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> it it's funny, but it's it's sad. But do do you think that then tying it back to AI, do you think AI is leading us to that on purpose? Like having I think technology? we are leading ourselves to that. Okay. 
Yeah, uh, AI is not sentient. I think we ourselves are. Well, no, like towards... AI is not telling us to do it, but AI is simplifying the tasks and then giving us information without us having to work harder for it. So it's you know we're not having to walk to the library. Not that anyone even fucking walk to the library. You know they they drive to it, but you know we had to go get a book. Uh, we we couldn't just sit computer in the room and do everything from work to to interpersonal communication to uh, buying and purchasing things and goods all from our computer before we had to go to the store. We had to go to these places. So people are more, um, I don't know what the word is, like like they, they, they just sit. They sit more and they're not as active, right? I mean, we're information workers, man. I don't, maybe I should get a treadmill while, I, while I'm working. <laughs> that would I've seen good. some of those. It's pretty weird when you're watching somebody on a, on a Zoom call they look weird trying to walk towards they, you. Their head yeah, just goes, yeah they're sort of like over. bobbing up and down and you're like, <laughs> so so proud of you. <laughs> <laughs> get your but steps in man unfortunately they also like stand a little taller taller than the camera so it's kind of like they're looking mm. down at you at the same time so it's like intentionally yeah yeah definitely intentionally um i want to we you know there's a couple more questions we had um you know uh two questions yeah one of them was there a recent problem that you were challenged with that you actually overcame yeah. Uh, so this brain of mine, this brain of mine, uh, I'm pretty sure I have undiagnosed ADHD or something because my attention gets fractured so easily. Don't we all? And, yeah. you know, I've heard that time time is money. I think attention is money. My attention is money. Mm-hmm. Um, literally. Adds. Yeah, literally. And as knowledge workers, how this muscle works is so important. And just being able to tune it the way we wanted to work is so important. So I I realized that my attention was getting fractured. I was missing deadlines. I wasn't getting like for I wasn't getting the portfolio that I wanted to get done. And I got over that. I got real mad at myself at first, but then I got over it by purging my phone. I got rid of all the apps that needed my attention. I set aside any entertainment that wasn't like the one thing that I was looking forward to. No more sidetracks. And this, I just fine tuned this engine. Yeah. Interesting. It's interesting. You also didn't just use like, you have an iPhone, right? Uh, I do. Yeah. So I'm curious why didn't you just use like the, the, like the, the focus mode. Cause like when you put it under focus mode, you actually can choose what apps show up on your phone. And then when you're out of the focus mode, they come back. This is a wonderful device, but I think interacting with it has many, it provides many opportunities for my attention to fracture further. Hmm. Interesting. I think focus mode is great. Um, I, I use focus mode, um, but getting away from another processing place, another device, I think was one of the goals. Um, it's not like I could build my portfolio on my phone. So just narrowing my device uh, list to just the thing that I needed to work on um, definitely helped me overcome that challenge. Yeah. I mean, have you guys felt that your attention is fractured in many ways? I'm sorry. I was doing something Sorry. Else. I was uh, just going <laughs> to write somebody else right now. I'm just kidding. Oh my I'm just God, kidding. you guys are killing me. Wait, were you no, reeling? I, no, no, no. I was actually just looking to the questions. Uh, no, I think that you are correct, and I think that is something that's baked into the device, which I think is 
becoming more and more of a problem. I mean, we, you know, the iPhone, the phone, whatever it is, it's not even a phone anymore. Let's not call it a phone. You know, it's a no. It's, it's a it, companion at this point, right? It's a companion, but it's, it's also an extension. It's it's what how you connect about? to the internet, right? It's, it's it's your second brain, and I definitely see that. For me, like I'm always like checking it, right? So mm. at certain times of the day, I I'm starting to now try to relieve myself of it by you know like when I'm at dinner with my girlfriend, you know we sit down in in at the uh, dinner table, or even when we go out, I put it down or I put it on the seat so I don't see it on the table and I want to reach towards it unless she runs to the bathroom, then I got to check it, right? But other than that, you know, I try my best in the moments that I have to be present. I absolutely don't want it visible in my face so that I don't check it. Um, unfortunately, when I'm watching movies now, I'm doing work at the same time because I just have so much work to do. But when I can, I try to push the technology away from me. Like I have an aura ring. I don't know if you see this beautiful little like device. And then I have an Apple Watch, right? And I use those for, for health specifically. Uh, I don't really use it for anything else, but, you know, sometimes I'm just like, I can't, I can't have any technology around me today. I'm going to take it all off, go naked to the computer. I'm just kidding. Just going to, you know, no technology near me, just do my work and then that's it. And then I'll go play my phone afterwards or I'll go spend time with other people or do whatever. But I try to separate as, as much as I can when I need, need to focus and when I need present. Yeah, I think these like these. What's the book? I forget the book. Is it oh, oh hook? Like the hook, the yellow book, hook. The hook. Yeah, hook. Like it, all these created that itch that he refers to in the book, where you kind of like, oh, the fear of missing out. Like, what is it that I have? Like, what is it? Then you always want to ensure that you're not missing out. But it's all. It also created this, like you said, I'm the same. If I'm in a Zoom meeting, I'm texting. I'm doing other something else. I'm reading a blog post at the same time, but listening, like our approach and that's it's sad that i say this but still it's like that's it's true it's it's sad that we as humans are no longer capable or find it difficult to pay attention and be focused in a meeting yeah like so many people now because we have all these devices near us and that's all we do do we adapt no no it's i would prefer like i'm older than both of you i much preferred the old days when like I didn't have an iPhone where if you wanted to know where I was go find out where all the bikes were in front of the yard like that's how old I am yeah right and I think that's when was fun now I see kids like in a trot they're like they're like it's an electric they're not even paddling away they're just like I'm like geez paddle like we're getting into like what you we talked about being a bit more lazy but I find these we have all these apps now that do everything for us and that overstimulate our brains and just being sit like sitting in silence alone at home. Many find it hard. Some can't even do it anymore because we're overstimulating our brains all day long. Mm. How, what's the cost of the distraction for you guys? How much time does that take up for you? Years. Like what's a notification <laughs> cost? What's a notification cost you in terms of time? Um, Okay, I would say too much. Yeah, an hour before you get back to doing what you wanted (laughs) or needed to do? Yeah, well, you know what? It depends on the app. If the app has like an infinite scroll, yes. If it's like a text message, most of the time I try to ignore them. But, you know, (laughs) um, if it's like 
like TikTok, like or like Instagram, like sometimes people say like, hey, it's like, hey, someone liked your post or like, you know, you have that like gratification that like makes you want to investigate more about it. Uh, I think right now my, my kick is subsect, like getting notifications that people are commenting and liking the podcast and the newsletter. Like that's mm-hmm. my new thing, but I'm using it in a productive way. I'm trying so hard to make it a productive thing, but still not productive, right? When I'm in the wrong context. So I think yeah. that that's a great question. Definitely. Are you interviewing us now? What the hell, man? <laughs> this is back and forth, man. I'm curious. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just Are kidding. we in an interview or what? <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's it's a good conversation. No, I think that, um, you know, may, maybe you you like maybe there's like a, a mechanism you can like do like a like you know they have a swear jar but like a attention jar for your phone and every time you open an app it, it notifies something like a system and it like deposits a dollar into that system like from oh, your bank I'd be broke. Man. I'd be broke. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a good deterrent. I think it's a pretty good no, deterrent. It's either got to be the stick or the carrot. I think somehow the other applications that want or that really provide value to you have to reward you for being on it. I think. I don't think it's. Um, I mean, all all of them though. All the addicting ones are rewarding you by giving you more content. No, 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 no. Love. I think. Yeah, but I think dark UX right there. Well, I mean. Just, so that I can feel the mean. see my productivity. I mean, mm-hmm. but 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 does does amount really equate to productive? Like you can be no. breading a lot, but it's a lot of BS, right? Like I have, I can have a cat run across the keyboard. Does, does that mean that I was productive? I don't know. I like quantity over quality. Or quantity leads to quality, so maybe. I I think you're right. Quantity does lead to quality, uh, but I also think it depends on the habit. Mm-hmm. Yep, I'm with you on that. There's a weird equation there, or something yeah. like that. I'll tell you the other thing that I have a problem with, and I don't know, I don't have a mm. solution for. Okay, and maybe you guys can help. Let's problem solve right now. So, I work in the enterprise space, and right now my biggest problem is getting my users to feel something more, an emotion, a visceral mm-hmm. emotion. When they come to the product, mm-hmm. how do you how do you do that? Is it just visual design? Uh, I can answer the non-visual part. Pascal, do you want to talk about the visuals part? <laughs> how do you is? get somebody to feel something? You know, well, you start and I'll finish. Okay. Um, how do you get someone to feel something? That's a great question it because is. it you have to obviously number one understand your users' pain points. That's that's definitely number one. But then you have to do stuff beyond the pain points that they didn't even know they had pain points about. And you have to surprise them in different ways. Surprise. Uh, so a surprise could be something that like you like so good. So the saying is like good design is invisible, right? Like you don't notice it until it like crashes and burns. And then you're like, oh, crap, this thing mm-hmm. like didn't work. Now I'm angry. Now I'm calling support and it supports put me on hold for 15 minutes. And I'm so mad. I have to do this you know, yesterday. That's when you notice design is bad. But when you're able to take design and then spin it in a way that it is noticeable, but it's a surprise, it's like a gift, right? Mm. It's a gift to your users something. And that doesn't necessarily mean like something they download or like an artifact or anything. But, you know, even a pat on the back is a gift. Like, you know, we have like delightful moments of like, oh, you know, that's a, you know, you did a good job there. Like, you know, thanks, you know, good job sending off your first, you know, a project or something like that, right? Those are nice little things, but they're not like 
not necessarily like going to make them feel great. Uh, yeah, yeah. Gift. There's an element of surprise in gift giving, right? And, there, yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And there's also that element of knowing what the other person wants or would appreciate. Yeah. And it can come in the form of words. It can come in the form of doing an action for them and simplifying right. the process. Like, you know, AI is, is great at that, right? You can do things ahead of the steps that they think that they're, they're going to take because you already can predict a number of different that's options, true. right? So if you're able to do something for them that's in a positive manner that they really liked, yeah. Of course, so this can totally backfire oh, and then you, you can do something and then they, you know, like, I didn't want that to happen. Can you but... imagine if the first AI was Santa? <laughs> what? Sorry, totally off topic, but go ahead. Pascal, you were going to say something. Don't tell him Santa's still real. <laughs> no, I, I think, Mitch, you touched on some topics that I, you know, I was agreeing with and that I was thinking as well. It's like creating the unexpected and it's bringing, just an like, example, if you're in a data app and then the app all of a sudden, like there's a magic wand that appears and then you click on it and it kind of tells you, Hey, I found three problems within your data points and I could improve your profits by 20%. You need help with this. Like, this is something that you were like, oh, like I've never had a tool that kind of knows me in this way. I think it's finding these opportunities to create and having like personalized onboarding where the app then becomes your own. It's not like the app that everybody has where you kind of create, it has like personal moments for you and like a companion in a way. Obviously, these are all like idealistic elements. Mm-hmm. I actually I think have it's, a different answer now. Go wait, hang on. You, Let Pascal yeah, 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 finish. Yeah, sorry, sorry. I thought you I was finished. Sorry, you can't change your mind now. You already said I can, it. I it's guess re- I can. There's no rules to man. this. <laughs> no, this is recorded. You can't change it. But I think it's like it's these things, and it's like saying like going above and beyond. It's like the same thing as if we all heard like just make it pop more. Like it's an easy oh. thing that we can say, right? But we do have to find ways to do different things that are going to surprise the user in many ways that are going to like things that are unexpected that are going to help users move forward. Mm. Like it's hard to say, right. But I still think those are things that we still need to strive for because many apps do exactly what we expect out of them, but they don't delight us. Like let's bring black kip, Clippy from Microsoft. I mean, I miss that guy. You know, it would be like a nice, like, let's say there's like a 50 year anniversary Clippy that just like pops up for one day. That's a surprise. That's a little bit of a gift for all the retro users. Okay. Right? Hey, so they were so ahead of their time. So that's nostalgia, that's right? Nostalgia is a tool that you can use. But I think there's a reason why nostalgia works sometimes. You know, obviously it doesn't work all the time, but the reason why it does work. And this is, what I think, the answer I should have said. Your 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 question was, how do you make like a user feel, feel something? Yeah. Feel something? Yeah. Uh, do you remember when we were in the internship and the first week of the internship, we had to create a website. Eventually, it, we didn't even know what we had to create. We had to create something, a solution that helped these, you know, this the uh, National Alliance on Mental Illness, this group, to uh, get the surveys. Uh, back from the kids accurately and 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 to have them actually fill out the survey so that they can target which location can get funding from the organization and then close the ones yeah. that don't. Uh, we went back and forth for a couple of days 
we got um, you know our asses handed to us, which was a great day. Honestly, it was a really really good feedback day. And then you know we all felt really bad. Like we had a really like down moment. And then at the end of that, you know, spiel kind of like pep talk we had with you know everyone and um, and and Devin, our, our manager at the time, he said like go spend the weekend together, have a barbecue, and get drunk. That's what he. That's what he said, and we did. <laughs> and you know, when we came back, we had a relationship built that was on that was built on a foundation of trust. Like, okay, we went through the the mud, we went through like that kind of war zone, and we made it out the other side. We're not unscathed, but we're you know we're ready. We, we, we know what to expect. We have um, an expectation that's here. We need to get this up to here for everyone else. And when we finished the, that second uh, trial of that, that, that um, project, not only did we succeed at blowing everyone's expectations out of the water from the audience, we were the first internship at, at any of them that existed uh, to launch a website uh, within three days from designing it to building it testing as well so we did testing designing you know designing testing and building it mm-hmm. um and putting it into production and so that feeling if you can capture that that is how you get them to feel you have to build a relationship with them and you have oh to God. show them through <laughs> well you have to go through the same i have to get drunk had, right? with my users is what <laughs> i just heard <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that that might work. I mean it's not it's not you know I don't know if you tried that, but <laughs> give it a try. But like what I'm actually saying is though it has to do with building a relationship, and you have to figure out the ways in which one way is to you know surprise them. But that's just one way, and nostalgia is another way. But nostalgia yeah. works because they have a relationship to a thing that brought them memories from the past, and it's not something they enjoyed in the moment. But then when they look back on it, they remember all the good things around that nostalgia. Mm. Yeah, I can see that. Good answer. <laughs> Sorry. I, I you had, just, I had to you just took us all down memory lane. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I, I do that a lot. You know, that's nostalgic. But um, yeah, okay. So I have one last question on, on, on the list of questions that I, that I wrote up over here. Uh, what's a recent book or movie or show that you watched. Mm, so for for the sci-fi nerds out there, I'm going to recommend that you go to your local bookstore and pick up Dune. What does that say? I can't even read that font. What is that? Dune. Dune. Dude, oh, that's Dune. Dune? It's Frank Herbert's Dune. And is it better than the movie? It doesn't have Timothy Chalamet in it. <laughs> I can't watch. I can't. But read it. You, if you've seen the movie, you can picture it. The characters are there. You can get a like sneak peek at part two. And I don't usually read fiction books, but this I have not read a book like this since Harry Potter. Really, pick it up, read it. It's going to change. I can see how this launched. So many different sci-fi books. This is an amazing piece oh, of cool. work. Yeah. I, I um, wish the movie was as good as you're describing the book. It's a slow burner. If you're in it, if you're into that kind of world building, then you're into it. Have you guys seen the movie? I have. I, I'm waiting for the second one to come out. I think that'll be better. I haven't seen but... it. I, in big confession, I've never read Harry Potter books too. 
I mean, I got scared of like the first one. Like, do you I guys like the movies? I've watched the movies, but I haven't read the books. I you guys don't into know how to read. I don't know how to read. Yeah, yeah. I like Star Wars. For, forget, forget. <laughs> no, this is this is better than Star Wars. This is better than Harry Potter. I, I have heard that actually doing the book is way better than most content that is there currently is, available. He, here's why. Here's why I like it. And somebody told me this because they knew me. They said, Andrew, you're going to like it because there is a business aspect to it. <laughs> there, there's, there is a religion of business in this world that if you're a hustler like you guys are, you guys are going to like this. He, he turn, like he sells grains of sand? yeah yes. we yes <laughs> awesome. sort of the spice yeah. man the spice the, the like spice it. of the donuts that we chew over the keyboard that gets caught yes. in the keys that's what we sell other book <laughs> other book that i read continuous discovery habits Teresa torres hmm. read this book right. what is gonna change have you read this one no is it i've read atomic habits yeah like i've got that one that's next on my list that, it's it's really good yeah, it, yeah, yeah. I, I think really, it's overrated. Really, really good. Any spoilers? No, Mitch has said it's overrated, but you know yeah. he's not. I, I think it's overrated. Let Let's just con- continue the conversation, me and you, and that's. Like... <laughs> I I like to disagree. I also like to have my own opinion because I think no, it's no, I know, person, but I mean, right? Atomic Habits is. You don't necessarily learn things. You just it just forces you to put things back into perspective again and put them into process and practice. I mean. It depends on how many books you've read in that realm or genre of books. I think it was well written. It it was a good book. It's not like the it's not the book book of all books, but it did for me personally. It did a great job. I mean, I I the only reason why I think that it's overrated is because it's really building up to like one key framework, like the main framework that at least yeah. they're describing in the book, and that framework is actually replicated in so many books that describe similar things. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, it's just like everyone has like this, like everyone gets it, you know. Um, Is it who an got older to it book? First? Who got to it first, though? I don't, I don't know who got to it first, but I don't think he, the person who wrote the book was the first. No, but maybe your either. perception is sweet because he wrote it first, but you read it the fifth one. Mm. See, maybe, but you might not we, be the target audience. Mitchell. We don't know. Uh, maybe I'm not target audience, but <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny. Um, the guy near eel near. Earl, I can't pronounce his, his name. I say Eel, but I probably don't say it. Eric, uh, maybe neither one said it right. But the one who wrote um, Hooked, he also wrote in- Indestructible, yep. which he he DM'd me to to let me know he launched it. That that was a nice <laughs> touch. Um, but he uh, his books are good. I, I you know it's funny he wrote the book that like what we're talking about today, our whole topic today about like addiction to to the phone. He kind of defined it for everyone in general in in the startup startup valley, right? But then he wrote a book to counteract everything. It's like, no, 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 wait, actually, let me me fix it. Let me me fix this. And let me show you how to, you know, more calm technology and and like really consider more Mm -hmm. more of the user side than the business of like, how do you get them addicted to it? Um, I don't know how I feel about that because like the damage is done, right? Like that was the blueprint everyone used. 100%. 100%. I think I think there's going to be a generation of people who overthrow the addiction model of business nowadays. I think well, these kids are going to turn into adults 
and they're going to see the cost that they paid for every notification and they're going to raise different humans i think i think that i hope so a lot of the already the gen z they already have i think they are addicted a lot to tiktok and like other various social media apps but i'm seeing a, a like a a section of them that are i hate saying them like they're like a separate group of humans but like you know <laughs> but you know a lot of them are are becoming more conscious about like what they're building mm-hmm. and they're building more useful things that don't have a business model tied to them and that might be dangerous for the success and failure of it right cuz it was like a whole like overthrow the government overthrow the business overthrow right um i think web3 kind of goes too far in some of that aspects um but you know there's like this calming technology this like absence of trying to grab your attention but to do a task very very well so well that you can't live without it like um open mind is a um task not task it like collects things from the web for you so you can like quickly search for it but there's no like ads it's just a subscription like it depends on the subscription that depends on the business model right that will determine how you need people to grow the product or mm-hmm. how you can like eat the ones that are there and not have to spend time trying to attract people. It's just a, such a good product. It attracts people not because yeah. it's addicting and then it uses, you know, human weaknesses to draw you to it. Mm. Interesting. We'll have to check. I'll have to check out that product. Was that yeah. like the final thought of the episode? Like that's how like you no close it. <laughs> no, I if I was to plug anything on this, I would say it would be read Dune. You'll be a better human on the other end. Awesome, cool. Yeah. I, don't, I actually Dune. don't think the name of it was Open Mind, but anyways, I'll find the name. I'll put it in the show description. Uh, Andrew, it was a pleasure as always. Thank you for the wonderful back and forth. I know we don't always agree on things, but I really appreciate the conversations as always. Yeah. Always yeah, thanks for me. Yeah, no problem. Stay in touch, guys.